commandment, but certainly uh, fearful, unborn generations affected by the sins uh, of the fathers. Uh, we'll be uh, picking up in uh, the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 8, and uh, just to uh, uh, bring us along uh, last week, we uh, kind of finished with God reminding the people of his purposes in uh, verses 14 and 15 of Zechariah chapter 8. And uh, the purpose of his wrath, he brought about evil because the fathers provoked him. And he says, I did not relent. He didn't relent until all of the judgment and all of his wrath was executed. Uh, many, many died. The, the land was laid waste and devastated. And uh, this is the prophecy of Haggai and uh, Zechariah because the people had a hard time thinking that anything uh, could be restored. But he again, God says, he purposed in these days to do good. If the devastation was so clear and so complete, God says, think of what I can do if I purpose to do good. It's a reverse, isn't it? How good can good be if God is saying, I'm going to do it? Uh, he's going to do good to Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And they were exhorted, do not fear. And in Haggai and Zechariah, we've seen this. One of their, where the, one of their problems was uh, that they were afraid to rebuild the temple. They were afraid to rebuild the walls. Their enemies were all around them. And they, they sent back to the king of Assyria and said, don't let these people get together again. They're not going to pay tribute. They worship strange gods. Stop the work. And they did. And, and then uh, Darius, as uh, you know, uh, started it up again, and they were helped by the prophecy of Haggai and Zechariah, the coming of Ezra and Nehemiah, and the work began. And then, like many of the prophets' passages that we've seen, verse 16 and 17, he exhorts them how they should live. Here's judgment. This is what I did. I didn't relent. But then he says, these are the things what which you should do. This is your obligation. This is what I'm telling you, you need to do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. And let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. And do not love false oaths for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. Uh, those uh, characteristic sins that we've seen over and over and over. God tells people how to live righteously. He told Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. He has the right to tell people. Speak the truth. Uh, we've seen it over and over. God's people are called to personal piety and doctrinal purity. That's what we're called to. We all have the obligation to know the truth and believe the truth and walk with the Lord. Uh, Revelation, the, the letters to the churches, he says over and over, I know your what? works. I know your deeds. I know exactly what you're doing. He says, I know some of you believe this. I know some of you believe that. Personal piety and doctrinal purity. It's non-negotiable. We can't just say, oh, I'll leave that teaching stuff to somebody else. Oh, I'll leave that stuff to somebody else. The world is not going to leave it to somebody else. The devil's not going to leave it to somebody else. One time, Somebody told me I questioned a book that they were reading. You would probably question it too. And they said, well, I know that the Holy Spirit would tell me if that book was bad. 
That is not biblical. Oh, I would just know what the Holy Spirit would tell me. That is wrong. We looked in the book of James. Uh, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. What? Deceiving yourselves. We saw that the that that Satan is out to deceive all the nations. And, and God, first thing he says, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Uh, man is a sinner. Speak the truth. Uh, man is, uh, has problems. And we, and we see all around us the, the false teaching. Uh, man is a sinner. Well, then maybe somebody says, oh, I, I believe in free will. Oh, you do? Well, if man is a sinner, and uh, then his will is corrupt. Oh, well, well let's not go there. Pelagius didn't want to go there. What did he say? Well, we, we, we've got to come up with a, a man who's not as beat up as that. And we've got to come up with a God who's not as upset about sin. Because of Adam's sin, we're all going to die. That's how upset God is about sin. Don't lie. Don't lie to yourself. Pelagius did. Arminius came along the same thing. Well, we can't have a God. We can't have people who are helpless. We can't have people who... Who, who need to, to, to repent and believe, we can't have that. And it's the same in our day. They've picked it up. I just heard another false teacher this week. You say, Art, you're always talking about false teachers because they're screaming at people. And people sit in congregations, and I don't know how they don't know that it's false. The guy was asked a question, why don't you talk about sin? Why don't you let people know about sin? He said, people are beaten up about about life and, and their life in general. Are you crazy? You have no warning to anybody? They'll be beaten up in hell for eternity. That will be, the, that will be what happens from your false teaching. Oh, you say you're starting really harsh. No, this is, this is just basic stuff. I believe in free will. Oh, yeah? Well, if your will's totally corrupt, how free is it? I don't believe what you believe in God's sovereignty. I believe in free will. Well, you haven't even thought through what it is. Speak the truth, God says. The rubble and the destruction of the whole land is all around him. And then he says, speak the truth. How much should that picture be in our minds? What's the temple? Uh, it's a pile of rubble. What are the walls? Oh, there is no walls. You see it. Speak the truth. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. You have to know what it is. Our goal, our quest in life is to know and understand God's truth. Because as, as uh, Manton said when we were studying James, if your conscience is out of order, you don't even know how to think the right way. Judge with truth. How do I judge with truth? You study. You learn. God. Trap says, don't lie in jest lest you go to hell in earnest. Speak the truth. Give judgment in your gates for truth. That's the picture we've seen over and over. Where were you supposed to go to get all the wisdom, to get all the understanding back in those days? You went to the, you went to the city gates. Kind of an interesting thing, right? All the wise people gathered around the gate. Boaz had to settle that issue, remember. Oh, you got to take a sandal. Where does he go? Gate. They're all there. That's the picture. Find wisdom. Find justice. 
And that is the only thing that brings about true peace, isn't it? A sowing of peace and the people should bring about peace also. That's what's going to give you peace when you understand the truth, when, when we act the right way. No evil devised in your heart against one another. That was a, a common problem of uh, oppression of the poor, wasn't it? You remember those people in, in, uh, in uh, Micah's prophecy, I believe, they, they sat up at night scheming about how they'd take advantage of somebody the next day. Do not love false oaths. Verbal tricks, false promises. I worked, in a, I worked as a car salesman for a number of years. You, you had to overcome that. The internet would tell people 32 lies that car salesmen tell you. I said, I haven't even thought of, they haven't even thought of 32 lies yet. And then the car salesman would say it back. How do you know the customer's lying? His lips are moving. <laughs> They'd say it back. Do not love false oaths, deceiving speech. What is, the, what is the bottom line? For all these things are what I hate. God hates people that don't speak the truth. God hates people that aren't just and righteous. God hates people that devise things in their, their hearts. And all around the people in that day is the proof. The proof is right there before them. It's sitting right there. Because he just said, I judged and I didn't relent. There is no future blessing for those who do uh, what God hates. And it's underscored again, declares Yahweh. Uh, maybe I can uh, mention it here. I, I got the Liberty Standard Bible because it translates Yahweh. I didn't do it to be novel. I didn't do it to confuse anybody. But remember... In this chapter alone, the name Yahweh comes up 18 times. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. I understand the, the Lord translations, but, but it's Yahweh. It's almost 1,200 times in the Old Testament, but they don't, they don't say it. They don't translate it. I don't get it. But I didn't do it to be novel. I want God's name to be God's name. That's, that's basically it. That's who he said he was. So uh, verse 18 through 23 comes future gospel expansion. This is another word from Yahweh. Uh, notice how Zechariah puts it. Then the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me saying, thus says Yahweh of hosts. Boy, there's a lot of Yahwehs in there. Yes, because he wants them to know who is speaking. This is my word. This is your God's word. Uh, he mentions the fasts of mourning. Notice the fast of mourning in verse 19 will become joy, gladness, and mercy. In chapter 7, we studied this delegation that came, and they, they wanted to inquire of the Lord about these fasts. You remember, they made up four different fasts. When the siege started, and when this guy was killed, and when this happened and that happened, they made up all these fasts. And what did God say? You didn't make the feast, the fast for me. Who would you make them for? Yourself. They said, oh, we're, we're the Israel. We're, we feel so bad. Let's make a fast for when they stormed the city. Let's make a fast for when this happened. Let's make a fast. But look what God says. I'm going to turn to them to joy and gladness. He mentions the fast of sorrow that they instituted. They, they fasted for themselves. They ate for themselves. They, they drank for themselves. 
was it actually for me that you fasted, he says. Uh, verse 19, 20, and 23 are three short uh, prophecies. All declare God's work in the future. Each verse begins with, thus says Yahweh of hosts. So hopefully we can, we can see the whole chapter is filled with the work uh, of God and the work of God in the, for the future. So the, the contrast to fast, verse 19 because of what Yahweh is doing, there will be joy and gladness and uh, merry and pointed feasts. The, the LSB translates cheerful feasts, say the New King James and the ESV. And uh, this actually happened in history. Ezra 6.22, they celebrated the feast of unleavened bread seven days with gladness. For Yahweh had caused them to be glad. They got it. They saw the work. The enemies were taken out of there. Remember the, remember the pictures in the, in the visions in the first six chapters. Two of them say, there's peace. It's time to work and build. There's, there's peace all around. For Yahweh had caused them to be glad and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen them in the work in the house of God, the God of Israel. A foreign king. And what did God do? Turned his heart. Well, I think I'll let them build. Seems like an easy decision, but God turned his heart. Now stop the feasts and look to the joy and gladness that's involved uh, in God's work. Here, he takes them to the, the higher spiritual goals also. So love, truth, and peace. So love, truth, and peace. Do we love our Bibles? Uh, do we love to hear preaching? Do we love to hear the scripture read? Do we love to read the scripture? Uh, Trap shows how they, 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 they missed. Therefore, love the truth, the substance of religion. Now, when, when a Puritan says religion, he doesn't mean religion in general. He doesn't mean Christianity because there's only one way, truth and life. There's only one way to the Father, isn't there? There's many religions, but only one religion. So the, the Puritan mind, when he says it's the substance of religion, he's talking about Christianity. The duties of piety and chari charity. Let go the needless ceremonies taken up by yourselves. Let them go. Because God's telling you, and though you had good intent, maybe they had good intent, yet of evil intent, it's, it's an interesting picture. He says, well, you made these fast, but now God has revealed to you that you did it for the wrong way. Yahweh made too much the, 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 for you have made too much excuse me for you have made too much about them with the ne neglect of the one thing necessary he points back to the, the scene with Mary and Martha and Mary's sitting there listening to, to what Jesus is talking about and Martha's running all over the place and he says in a sense he says be like Mary just sit there love truth love truth delight in truth get it in your heart that's what I'm telling you to do. The feast will become joy and gladness and merry appointed feast. So love, truth, and peace. That's your goal. And where is it supposed to go? It reminds us of Psalm 51. He's, he's confessing to God and he says, Behold, take notice. You delight in truth where? In the innermost being, the LSB says. In the inward parts. Where does the truth have to go? All the way in there. 
we're, not, we're supposed to understand systematic theology. We're supposed to understand the Trinity. We're supposed to understand the attributes of God. But if it's not in our heart, it's not in the right place. It can't be just in the head. It's got to be in there because it has to guide and direct our lives. I can talk all I want about God's sovereignty and God's purposes and stuff, but it's only till it's in my heart that I know. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground. I comb my hair. I knocked some hairs out this morning. But God, God knew the new total, didn't he? He says that every hair is numbered. I know he's taking care of me. I know he's... Watch me, that's God's sovereignty. We, we don't want to dumb that down. We don't want to say, oh no, that's, that's just a picture. He knows it. He knows it. David said he knew it. You delight in truth in the innermost being. Where should that truth have been when I saw that woman bathing across the, the, the truth should have said, turn away. Turn your eyes away. Instead it was, hey, find out who she is. And the entire nation and everything went down. Truth at the core of man's soul. Love the peace that God provides to those who will obey his word. We're, it's not just physical peace. He's saying there's physical peace. But there, there's peace that passes all understanding. The steadfast of mind you will keep in what? Perfect peace. The, the person whose mind is stayed on you stays in perfect peace. Well, wait a minute, there's still enemies around. Wait a minute, the, what, about, uh, what about our leaders who aren't leaders? What about all the people that are lying to us and, and all, everything in the economy? No, no, peace is in here. Tells them to look to the heart of the issues, truth and peace. And we, we, we can ask ourselves, is that is what is in my heart? And, uh, right, not to just take a snapshot and be discouraged, but am I working towards that? Do I desire that? Do I see that as a goal? Do I see that that David says, behold, that's what God desires. So I want to desire the same thing as God. And then verses 20 through 22, future expansion. Here we go again, verse 20. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, people from many cities will come. There'll be a cooperative effort. This is beautiful. This is the, the gospel age, isn't it? One will go to another and, and, and look at the urgency. It says in some of the translations, at once. Come at once. Come at once. Let's go and entreat the favor of Yahweh and seek Yahweh of hosts. I was glad when they said it to me. Let us go into the house of the Lord. That's the idea. Come on, come on. Let's go right away. Let's go pray. Let's go entreat Yahweh. Let's go worship. Look at that. And then somebody else has a, a consent and they say, I will go also. Where are you guys going? Oh, we're going to the house of the Lord. We're going to worship. Oh, I'll go too. What's happening? What's the picture that's happening? Another person and another person and another person and another person. Notice verse uh, 22, there's a confirmation there of the increase. As a result, he says, so many peoples and what? Mighty nations. What happened to the cities? The cities increased into nations. Look at that. That's glory, isn't it? People seeking the Lord, nations seeking the Lord, not just cities. Look at the expansion. Thus says Yahweh. 
Thus says Yahweh, verse 23. Here's, here's where it is. In those days, ten men from every tongue of the nation will take hold of the garment of the Jews, saying, Let us go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. That's true, and it happened. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. It's fascinating. The request, let us go with you. Uh, TV Moore uh, 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 has a, a section on this. This is probably the longest quote that I'll, that I'll ever read, but, but this is striking. This is striking how he, he puts this. 500 years rolled away, and yet this prophecy remained unfulfilled. Indeed, it seemed further from fulfillment than when it was uttered. Right? He's talking about four, there was 400 years, there wasn't a prophet at all. But at length, the time arrived, and there came to Jerusalem, this is a quote, men out of every nation under heaven, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, end of quote, all came up to Jerusalem to seek the face of Jehovah, and from the lips of a Jew, when they heard words that caused them to cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? People from nations heard a Jewish man's preaching, and the Spirit did what pricked them in their hearts. That's the glory Tongues isn't the glory of Acts chapter 2. The sermon and the result of the Holy Spirit's work in their heart. What do we do to be saved? That's what Jesus died for. Not to give tongues, but to give salvation. Not to have you brag that you have more gifts than somebody else, but to get you to heaven. To get you in the path to persevere. And the Spirit will come again and help you all the way. They scattered to their own homes again and carried with them the strange words that had so deeply moved their souls. And being followed by these wonder-working men, there soon began to work a new life among the nations of the earth, and this life took hold in its origins and efficacy upon a Jew. Greece, with her polished dialects, Rome with her mailed mightiness, right? The chest mail, the uh, armor. Uh, Asia with her soft voluptuousness, all submitted to the authority of a savior who was a Jew. What a, what a prophecy and what an understanding of it. All rested their hopes for eternity upon a Jew and soon received as divinely inspired the words and writings of men who were, who were Jews. <coughs> Paul says, I wasn't just a Jew. I was a Jew of a Jew of a Jew. And Peter says, even though they're hard to understand, that what he writes is scripture. And some people twist it. And for nearly 2,000 years, it brings us to us. The mightiest intellects and largest hearts of the race have breathed the spirit and studied the works of men who were Jews and have sought as the most precious boon of existence the privilege of being covered with a robe of righteousness that was wrought by the divinely incarnated hands of one who is the seed of Abraham after the flesh, though as to his higher nature, God over all blessed forever. What a quote. I know that was, I know that was long, but, it, but he's got it. That's what happened. It, it, it's the gospel. 
and people read that prophecy and say, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know when anybody, I read anything about somebody grabbing a Jewish person's garment. But in Acts it happened. We'll look at, we'll look at a passage in a, in a little while in John. There were Gentiles that said, we would see Jesus. In Acts, in Acts what did Cornelius do? I got to find out what's going on. I'm going to get this Jewish guy, Peter, to come and visit. And his whole household was saved. The, these prophecies are fulfilled. And that's, why, and that's why we can have confidence when we hear it over and over and over again. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. What does he control? The hosts of heaven. Anything we can think about. But he also controls every detail of what he says. And when those people from 15 or 20 nations came to Jerusalem and over 3,000 were saved, that fulfills these prophecies. Because, because God has to do the work. What did man do? They became an idolater. What's in our hearts? Idolatry. What's in our hearts? Thoughts that you would say, how could I ever think something about something like that? How could this ever come into my mind? But there is a man who is a Jew. He, he not only came from the lineage of Abraham, but he says he is blessed forever. He's God. Amen. And that's what we need. So then we come to chapter 9, and this is an oracle. I believe it is, yes, right there in the, in the uh, first verse. The oracle of the word of Yahweh is against, and then uh, he goes on. And we need to uh, explain some of these things. Uh, because we don't uh, hear of uh, Hadrach and Hamath very much. Uh, it's against various places, and Tyre and Sidon and Damascus and uh, uh, Syria. So Hadrach, uh, as best as people know, uh, is a place, uh, a king or a deity. Uh, uh, it's, the, it's the only time th that this word is mentioned in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the ESV study Bible says it could be a place that's in the area of Syria. That would be that Hadrach is a place. But some speculated that it was the name of a king or a false deity. And then he mentions uh, Damascus, uh, that uh, uh, Isaiah 17, 1 says, I'm going to make it, make this resting place for idols into a ruins. And uh, uh, Hamath, is all of these areas uh, together. I have several Bible maps that show this area of Hamath. Uh, Genesis 10, 18 talks about Hamathites uh, in 2 Samuel 8, verses 9 through 11. Uh, David had just defeated a king named Hadadezer and uh, a man named Toi, T-O-I, the king of Hamath, came and said, uh, uh, blessings to you. He asked about David's health and he blessed him. And then 2 Kings 23 and 33, the king Jehoahaz is imprisoned and he's banished to the land of Hamath by Pharaoh Necho. So, so that's, that's what's going on. God is taking control. Uh, he is uh, dealing with these cities. Then uh, uh, Tyre and Sidon in... Uh, uh, chapter, uh, I mean, in verse uh, two through four. Now, Hamath would be up here, and he's, he's just moved a little uh, south and uh, east. But uh, 
He uh, goes against their wisdom. He says they're well defended, they're wealthy, but what is he going to do? It says, Elohim, the Lord will dispossess her, strike her wealth into the sea, and they'll be consumed with fire. I believe Tyre and Sidon is the city that was built out into the ocean, and they thought that was their ultimate protection. And uh, somebody figured out a way to, to get across that causeway and, and uh, destroyed them. And then verses 5 through 8, Philistines are punished. Philistines are punished. The four main cities are, are mentioned, uh, Gaza and Ashkelon, Ashdod and Ekron. And here is a comprehensive judgment. Verse 5 just piles it on. They'll be put into fear, writhe in, in great pain. Ekron will be put to shame. No king in Gaza. Ashkelon will be uninhabited. They'll, they'll just be illegitimate children that live in Ashdod. And there's a generic result. I will cut off the pride of the Philistines and, and remove the blood from their mouths, the detestable things from between their teeth. So, so any nation that ate any unclean animals, that's what, that's what it was. And many of them did. Some of them had other uh, practices that were even more uh, evil. And then uh, verse 7 at the end, there's three descriptions of the small number that God will make these nations into. A remnant for our God. He'll make them a remnant. And all it means is that all remnants are God's remnant. The remnant of Israel was God's remnant. But God defeats nations down to the very exact number of men that he chose to be left of any nation that was conquered. And he's in control of that. The number of people left, he ordained. He says he'll make them like a clan of Judah. You can look at uh, Numbers 26, and it goes over and over and over. There was 12 tribes, but many clans. Uh, uh, Boaz, we mentioned him before. He was from the clan of Elimelech. It's not a tribe. It's not one of Jacob's sons, the 12 sons. It's a clan. So God will not only make them a remnant, he'll make them like a little clan of people left. That's how thorough the destruction will be. Uh, Ekron will be like a, a Jebusite. The, remember, uh, the, the Jebusites were in the land, uh, and they were kept under bondage, and they were kept, the, uh, those are the guys that tricked the Israelites. Uh, they kept them under bondage, so they'll be like a, a Jebusite. They won't be rulers of themselves. They'll be under uh, bondage. And then the concluding statement in verse 8, God continues to speak, and it's as if, uh, it's as if he uh, steps back and, and gives it. I will camp around my house because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns, and no taskmaster will pass over them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes the, uh, the New American Standard and the, the, the uh, legacy, and the New King James capitalized the mys. They say that this is God speaking. And, and the picture is that, that he comes out and he looks over all these things. He sees armies going to and fro. He sees this happening and that happening. And he saw it with his own eyes because he uh, accomplished everything. The Lord will dispossess them. He'll cut off. He'll remove, he says. He says, now I'm going to look over everything and I'm going to uh, see it. He's pictured as watching over all his work. Well, in the time remaining, and we'll have to cut it short, out of nowhere... 
comes a humble king riding on a donkey. This, this is amazing. If what we've seen already today is not amazing, uh, notice verse 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Make a loud shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, lowly and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations. He conquers and brings peace, and his reign will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You, you can't ultimately find a place where your king will not rule and reign. And if we didn't have the Gospels, what, you know, what would we say about it, right? We've seen some of those. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And then we had to look. Oh, well, Matthew says that's because Jesus was taken to Egypt. Well, how, how would we know that? Uh, but here it is. And the details, the details uh, are astonishing, aren't they? So we won't finish. But Matthew 21, 5 and John 12, 15 quote the passage directly in the triumphal entry and all four gospels have the triumphal entry but all four gospels quote psalm 118 hosanna the the one that comes in in, in you know you don't know what i'm saying so M matthew's version jesus does all the preparation uh, we've we've seen it in mark he, he knows, he knows that in the town, in the town, they're going to go into town and, and find it exactly like he says, doesn't he? And, and Mark brings that out too. Uh, John has an interesting thing. We might get to that. And when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt and untire and bring him to me. And if anyone says to anything to you, the Lord has need him, and immediately he'll let you do it. That's exactly what happens. And this he spoke in order that what was spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Go get the donkey, because this is fulfilling prophecy. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their garments on them. And he sat on the donkey. And most of the crowd spread their garments in the road. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and they who followed were crying out and saying. They literally were ahead and behind just calling out, crying out and saying. It's continuous. Here's Psalm 18, 118. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. That's Matthew's account. Uh, fulfilled or fulfilled is used around 15 times in, in Matthew. He, he leads you through. This is what was fulfilled. But also... Right in this passage, he mentions Psalm 119, and he doesn't say it was fulfilled. But Matthew is full of Old Testament uh, prophecies. The fulfilled prophecy is one of the biggest hooks of our salvation, brethren. It's one of the things that we should hold on no matter where we are. 
If you're dying of cancer, remember fulfilled prophecy. If you're struggling with your faith, remember fulfilled prophecy. If you think you have doubts and fears, remember fulfilled prophecy. We just, we just TV Moore said, 500 years past. There's many prophets where, prophecies where somebody could say 700 years past. And it was fulfilled exactly like he said. And the donkey was there exactly like Jesus said. Jesus prophesied about the donkey and they found it exactly like he said. A long prophecy and a short prophecy. They complete the task. They enter into uh, Jerusalem. And the use of Psalm 118 is in all the gospel accounts. Matthew 21, 9, they were crying out, saying continually, uh, Hosanna. Uh, it's taken from parts of uh, Psalm uh, 118, verses 25 and 26. And we have to just look at it briefly because we're running out of time. Uh, so Psalm 118, 25 says, Oh, Yahweh, save. And Hosanna is the Greek interpretation of that. Oh, Yahweh, save. Oh, Yahweh, succeed. So that's not in the Gospels, that part. But notice verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yahweh. That's in the Gospels. And then the second part is verse 26. We have blessed you from the house of Yahweh. That's not in the Gospels. So they, they picked out those two parts. Hosanna, oh God save. The, the, the word seems to have changed to praise or blessing. And Hosanna is only used six times in the New Testament, all in those uh, accounts uh, in the Gospels. Uh, but it, it meant, oh Lord, save. Save us, we pray, oh Lord, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew, hoshi na uh, means save now. And it just seemed to have changed. I read some places that pointed to early Christian worship, where early Christian worship had the word Hosanna in it. It seems like there you could substitute it, right? What did the people say? Praise to the son of David or blessing or praise in the highest. And said, instead, they said, Hosanna. One last passage, well, maybe maybe two. Mark only uses uh, Psalm 118, uh, but he talks about the uh, triumphal entry. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Re remember, uh, we, we talked about what those people knew, right? The blind man by the side of the road, who does he call out to? Have mercy on me, who? Son of David. They knew it. These people had the Messiah in their minds. These people understood. We are waiting for something significant to happen. And we think that something significant is happening right here. The early disciples in John chapter 1. He goes and says, look, come and see. We've found the Messiah. We've seen the Messiah. The, 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 th think about what they were saying. Think about that scene. I know Gary brought it out, but, but think about it. It's, it's electric. It's fulfilling prophecy. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Here, uh, blessing and Hosanna are used together. They're mixed together to say the same thing. And, and then finally for today, Luke's account is a little bit different, but these people were just praising all. all uh, John, John says before they were saying Hosanna. Matthew says they were said it after the other prophecy. It doesn't matter. They were just praising in the people in the front, the people in the back. They were just crying out and praising. That's what they were doing. And Luke just says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He, he looks back to the, to the shepherds sitting there at night and he says the same words about what's going on. What, what kind of news did the angels bring? They brought peaceful news. Peaceful news. The Savior is born. And then what happened? Suddenly they joined, and what did they say? Glory to God in the highest. And that was, that's what Luke says. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's what these people said that day. That's what these people said as this prophecy was fulfilled. And there's more to look at, but we'll save it for, no, it won't be next week. We'll save it. We'll, we'll just save it. And you can, you, can, you can savor it. You can savor these verses, can't you? To see what God has done as he fulfills his holy word. Let's pray. Our merciful God, we are thankful, Lord, to take this journey through your word, to take this journey through not only your mind and the minds of the prophets, but even the mind of Christ. We didn't even talk about our humble Savior yet. And we're thankful for his humility to come and not enter Jerusalem the way any other king would, but to enter even humble, although he was the most powerful. We pray he would be powerful in our lives today. Amen.